for the moment, there is a huge debate ongoing. Are we going to preserve everything that we have already built? Or are we going to look at the more nuanced way of uh, developing our futures? To build or to rebuild? That really is the question when it comes to a sustainable built environment. Is it, like some people say, always better to renovate? It's a very, very difficult and complex question. I think it's important uh, in this debate also to contribute from all the professional sites in order for us to establish when does it make sense and when does it not make sense uh, to uh, refurbish, rebuild, reuse. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a Skanska podcast about climate and the built environment, the construction and development industry and their impact on the places we live, work and connect. In this episode, we'll talk about whether it's better to refurbish an old building and bring it up to modern standards, or knock it down and construct a new, low-carbon building instead. There is a balance between, in a way, the the user-specific needs, the project-specific needs, in terms of what you can do and what you should do. What is the best decision from the sustainability perspective? I'm Madeline Josette Ulrici. In 2007, architect Carl Elefante wrote an article in the National Trust for Historic Preservation's Forum Journal, where he articulated a now-famous quote, The greenest building is one that is already built. This has since become a slogan for the retrofit movement. What Elefante was referring to is that new construction often generates so much CO2 that it can take decades for modern buildings to compensate for those emissions, even if the new buildings are extremely energy efficient. If Elefante is right, does that mean that we always should choose to refurbish old buildings instead of building something new? In this episode, we will discuss this question with renowned architect Shetil Tredal-Toshen and Executive Vice President for Skanska Group, Ståle Röd. Shetil Tredal-Toshen is founding partner at Snöhetta, a globally renowned architectural firm named after what Shetil describes as Norway's most beautiful mountain. A frequent lecturer internationally, he has also worked as professor of architecture at the Institute of Experimental Architecture at the University of Innsbruck. Ståle Röd, executive vice president for Skanska Group, is also a civil engineer with wide experience in the construction industry. Welcome, both of you, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Shetel, if we start with you, uh, you were named EY's Norwegian Entrepreneur of the Year in 2023. And part of the reason was that you are not afraid to question established truths. So when it comes to renovation versus new construction, what are the established truths here? Ha. Huh. It depends on where you are in the world, obviously. But uh, let's look at it from a more Western perspective. Um, I think for the moment, there is a huge debate ongoing. Are we going to preserve everything uh, that we have already built? Or are we going to look at the more nuanced way of uh, developing our futures? And I think it's a big debate. There are no established 100% truths for the moment. Uh, So I think it's important uh, in this debate also to contribute from all the professional sites in order for us to establish when does it make sense and when does it not make sense uh, to uh, refurbish, rebuild, reuse 
And I think it's a big question. It's very, very difficult and complex question, but we won't dive into all of the aspects of it, I hope, but maybe take some general perspectives. Stole, how common is it for Scansket to have that discussion with your customers about what is better from a sustainability perspective to build a new modern building that emits zero CO2 or to renovate an old building to make it as energy efficient as possible? We have more and more uh, discussions and dialogues with our clients uh, of what is the right thing to do in, in terms of their projects. Uh, and we are invited more and more into, say, early uh, contractor engagement processes where customers, uh, clients seek our competence to be able to do the right choices. And Echete says there are very, say, many dependencies and many priorities you need to make to make the right choice of whether to build something new or to renovate the existing. And that that is the dialogue we want to have with the client because there is not one truth about this. Skanska and Snöhetta collaborated on the project Powerhouse Sharbo just outside Oslo, Norway. A powerhouse is a building that is designed and built to reduce its life cycle carbon emissions to a minimum across its lifetime. It also has to produce more renewable energy than it consumes during operation. Yeah, what I could say, the first powerhouse turbo that we uh, built together, Snöhatta, Skanska and other partners, that was a renovation project where we managed to refurbish an old commercial building to uh, a new building. And we actually took great advantage and benefit of reusing uh, mainly the concrete superstructure in that project where you, in a way, take advantage of a lot of embedded uh, carbon. So it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic project and a very good example. And we're going to, on that line, move specifically to the uh, phenomenon of powerhouses and uh, whether a building on a strict carbon budget can be environmentally sustainable as an alternative to renovation. What do you say to that, Shetil? It's all a matter of calculation. It's all a matter of mathematics. It's a life cycle analysis. You know, it's the consumption, but it's also the energy production line embodied carbon and uh, used carbon. And uh, what we see with an energy positive building, in our calculation so far, we've been looking at this 30-year payback time. But, and that, inc- and that includes uh, one-time uh, change of solar panels, for instance, or and it includes all the maintenance of the building. But that does not mean that you have to take down the building after 30 years. It means that this building will continue to produce more energy than it consumes. And then the big discussion is, does that mean it becomes negative? No, in my mind it doesn't. It's still neutral. It just supplies as a power station energy to society. And that to me is where it starts getting interesting. After you've had the payback time of 30 years, say, as an average, when after these 30 years, that's when it really has an impact. And I, I think just to add to, to what Chete says, are. Uh, during the last two years, I think especially Europe has found out that what we took for granted, cheap uh, energy, uh, is no longer for granted, right? The scarcity of energy to feed the different systems and, uh, and the environment and the society we have uh, is something that we need to, say, consider way more going forward. And you can say energy efficiency is probably the best, still the best selling point we have for powerhouses 
because when you look at the, the buildings we have uh, built uh, and you see the amount of energy they consume uh, compared to a traditional building is a significant reduction and that goes straight to the payback time of the project that Jetty says early on. Stola, what is the most common path that your customers choose? Uh, that, that is very dependent. And as Jetty says, uh, more and more clients now think, say, lifespan of the building and, and life cycle of the building. And there is a balance between, in a way, the, the user-specific needs, the project-specific needs in terms of what you can do and what you should do. As I said, regulatory uh, requirement drives more and more of, of the behavior here. Also, uh, in a way, embedding carbon in your budgets, not only the financial side, but also the, the carbon and carbon emission in your budget also makes you think different and act different. So it's not, in a way, a clear path to this is the right thing to do in that project and that is the right thing to do in another project. It is a balance and priorities between different aspects and it needs to be uh, addressed to the user-specific needs and also the project-specific needs. Maybe, maybe the, Ostola, I'd just like to add, you know, because it's a super interesting discussion, but there are also other notions that could lead to preserving a building and not only from a purely environmental uh, sustainable way of looking at it. It could be social. It could be historical. It could be, uh, you know, the maintenance of certain things that are irreplaceable and which you simply can't get today. So for the projects that we're doing on reconstruction in France, the Musée de la Marine or Musée Carnavalet, you know, buildings from the 15th and 16th uh, century, they they sort of have all of a sudden different notions. So there is a cultural value here also, which we should not forget. And I think it's extremely important to look at these in combination. So if we do the CO2 only, then sometimes it might be better to take down the building. If you take other aspects in, it might be just as well to let them stay. So we've talked about the historical aspects, social aspects. Tell us more about other aspects that customers have to take into account. Well, in my mind, if I may, uh, very quickly, Stola, uh, architecture is a kind of a library of uh, societal uh, development, right? Architecture is uh, deep and the understanding of where we are, what we can do, and why we do it to some extent. So there is a deep social profile to architecture developing also in Europe still. Uh, you know, if you move down to urban planning or how these things evolve. So in my mind, there needs to be a more holistic approach to how we evolve our societies, including the way we look at existing buildings. The variations that we do have on whatever is existing today are maybe too limited. Uh, maybe we should expand the discussion on why we keep things, because now we have the historical aspect, and it says, okay, you can't take it away because the historical aspect. And sometimes that is totally against any CO2 emission. Or, or even handicap accessibility, let's say, you know, like uh, the way the building can be used and who can actually approach it. On the other hand, we might overweigh the element and say this is of such a historical importance that it needs to stay just the way it is and consume and, and spit out the CO2 that it does. You know. uh, it's almost impossible for us to judge the historical importance, the social value, up against some of the environmental aspects. And it's a big fight uh, going on in the world for the moment, 
where is the breaking line? Where's the balancing point um, between these things and these issues? Stole, what would you like to add regarding the other aspects to take into account when making these decisions? I, I think, uh, say, user-specific needs. And you say, we have a tendency uh, over time to build more than actually what we need. And if you think uh, economy from a perspective of heating up all the spaces that we use every day, uh, trying to find, say, the optimal building that fits the user's need, that fits the number of people that should have their daily life or daily work in there, I, I think there is much more to, to do there. Um, I also think that during the, the last years, um, the financial perspective have become much wider and not only in a way driven from, from a pure cash perspective, but when you put a price on carbon uh, and you say that it shall cost something to pollute, then you get totally different discussions in your project about what is right to do and what is the best solution. So, so I think the, the maturity is going forward here. I see the competencies are, are increasing uh, among all players in the construction industry. So, so we are heading uh, towards a more circular economy, obviously. And as Jed says, there are some priorities to be done sometimes that uh, maybe uh, be a bit counterproductive to the CO2 uh, emission directly, but still we have to make them. Let's assume that in 100 years, um, whatever electricity comes into any type of building is completely renewable. That would put us in a position where we have different discussions again. So before, everything that is delivered on energy to a building is renewable. We will have to locally produce our own clean, renewable energy. And that might be a transition period of up to 100 years. We don't know. So in, in effect... Yes, that's an obligation clients have, architects have, uh, construction companies have to get to a point where we can lower the, the, the way CO2 emissions are looking today. And it can be done. We have proven through the powerhouses that you can do that with existing technologies. You don't need very expensive, new developed technologies in order to get there. We can do that. We, we don't need to be spearheading even some of these technologies. We just take them and use them. And that puts us in a position where we can pay back CO2 within maybe even less than the 30 years. Just to emphasize one element here, you know, uh, powerhouses are prototypes of larger possibilities. They're scalable. And to me, it's extremely important that the further development of the powerhouse strategy still is scalable in, in the way it's being perceived. And now we're testing uh, this uh, inside the Nordic countries, and there will be a series of powerhouses. But that's not... Uh, a frozen idea. It's not a frozen uh, project typology. It is testing, continuous testing for upscaling solutions. Now, Shethel, something you said just a few moments ago, that powerhouses are prototypes of larger possibilities. I don't know, it's so, sort of summed it up in a very, very exciting way, which takes us further to, to, uh, to a view into the future. If we would, if we would take a different perspective and, and, uh, and take a look at what we believe the industry to be uh, developing into in the future, what would you say about that, Stuala? How do you expect it to develop? More innovation or more efficient new production? 
No, I, I expect it to be, uh, say, more innovation, but I also, in a way, expect that powerhouse concept, as an example, can scale into other geographies than where we are today. Where we're working today on on opportunities in Central Europe, for example. Just think about uh, re- renewing or refurbishing of old building versus new built. That is very common in many of our markets. You could say from a default standpoint, if you're going to construct something new in London, the default standpoint is that you should preserve as much as you can of the existing buildings, right? So there, there, is, a, uh, there is a trend uh, where, in a way, circularity uh, and energy-efficient building becomes um, a demand for the future. The powerhouse concept with its energy production adds another element, right? And, and I think in, in terms of energy scarcity in the society now, uh, more and more people will have their eye-opener in terms of that their own building can become a power plant, actually generating more uh, power than you need yourself. And when regulatory requirement changes a bit, then your your ability to sell into the market becomes greater. So I only see an upside in this and a great potential. And Shetel, please expand. How would you expect the industry to, to develop and the prototypes for larger possibilities? What would these larger possibilities be? I, I think for the moment, everything we're dealing with uh, needs to be looked upon in uh, in how it can be upscaled. You know, uh, part of the problem is that we have a lot of very local uh, uh, solutions to different things, very handmade in some certain parts of the world. But if if we don't get to the point where we can upscale the things, uh, also the prototypes won't have much to say. Because that, that, again, is dealing with uh, material and material production. Let's say you would find a very CO2-reduced uh, way of producing concrete. So all of, a, all of a sudden, you're moving into totally new options of calculating how the CO2 emissions might look from a building. And like I said, some of these buildings have a lifespan of uh, two, three, four hundred years. I mean, if you look at the uh, Opera House in Oslo, it has a design lifetime of 300 years. So in a way, you have to look depending on how far you look into the future. You know, of course, the hope, the hope is that one day the only energy uh, we are consuming is renewable energy. Then we don't have to care so much about the material production line and the consumption for CO2 reasons. It might still be a distribution issue around the world. It might still be that, you know, if you're rich, you can afford to pay for it. And if you're poor, you cannot. But as long as it gets into, as you also mentioned, sort of taxonomy, not only carrots are actually hitting them, the people with the money on their heads, you know, and making sure they actually follow up. So at least for the next 50 years, I also see a clear trend of preserving more of our existing environment uh, and utilizing maybe density and all-day use, which is another big issue. You know, if you have only six hours use of of a space, your personal footprint goes up. It's like sitting alone on a plane, right? (laughs) It's not a good thing. So uh, in a way, the more we can use the buildings uh, during the day, the more multiple uses a building can have, turning schools into nightclubs. Um, You know, it it gives you the the possibility of of reducing the areas that we think should, should be invested into in the future. And that's, that's a cultural aspect also, which brings building of societies into a different perspective. And architecture and, and construction industry is a tool to bring us there.
we need to have these discussions. What what is the long term value of building believable businesses in the future? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think when you look at what we do today, right, the buildings we appreciate most. They were built 100 years, 200 years, 300 years before us, right? The building that becomes our problem today is actually the buildings built in the 60s and 70s and possibly 80s, right? And you can say those were difficult times, a weak economy, but still in difficult times and weak economy, you need to think in long terms. You need to think what is in a way the right thing to do now for the next generations. And now we have inherited some problems because we constructed the wrong way in the 60s and 70s. So what happens here echoes in the future, um, in the afterlife of the buildings. Um, we've discussed the scarcity of materials that we're going to be facing. We've discussed the possibilities of multiple uses for buildings. There's a trend, uh, Shetel, you said, of preserving. We're talking about how we can upscale. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on this. Shetil Tradaltushan and Ståle Röd. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out in the future. If you have any thoughts about this episode or ideas for new ones to come, don't hesitate to reach out to podcast at skanska.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is a podcast from Skanska, a leading property development and construction group. To find out more about how we and others are creating healthy, resilient communities and spaces, visit us at foresight.skanska.com. I'm Madeline Josudulrici. Thank you for joining us as we explore shaping sustainable places. Mm-hmm.